Guy Swarbrick and this is episode three of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast. With us this afternoon, we're lucky enough to have Nick Wright, who I'm sure most of you know is the club manager, but what I'm pretty sure none of you know is just what that job entails. Who better to tell us than the man himself? Welcome, Nick. Good afternoon, Guy. Before we talk about your role as manager, how did you get involved with the club in the first place? I first joined the club in 2008. Um, I've had a 156 for several years before that, although I never actually got around to joining the club for some reason or other. Work and family pressures at the time meant I couldn't get involved when I did join the club. I couldn't, so I didn't have the time to get to any section meetings, midweek ones. So I often went to the their weekend ones or the drives that they had and things. So that's how it all started, yeah. So it sounds like it was quite a big step up between that level of involvement in the club and becoming club manager. How did that all come about? I mean, it doesn't seem like it, but it's 10 years ago now, still my 10th year in the role. At the time, I'd sort of fallen out of love with the shipping industry I've been in for 25 years. I've been looking, um, not reactively at some stage, I must admit, but I've been looking for something totally different to uh, to occupy me. The club hadn't had a full-time person running it for about 10 years since Michael Lindsay left. It was done with a small board of directors supported by a very active management committee, many, many of whom are still involved today. They decided between them to go back to the previous model and they advertised the role uh, in the magazine, which is obviously where I saw it. So as soon as I saw it, I thought that's the, the thing I've been looking for. So I remember having three long interviews over several weeks, a month maybe. So it's, it was a, a long process with uh, plenty of interest in the, in the position. But they were also looking for someone with relevant business experience, um, an alpha owner, club member preferably. Skills-wise, looking for a wide range of business experience, finances, communication, teamwork, etc. And I was lucky enough to uh, be accepted for the role at the end of it all. So that's how it came about. And and you've been doing it for 10 years. And even in the the couple of years since I took on the editor's role, I've seen your role evolve quite a bit. But what were your responsibilities when you first started? Well, as I said, no one had been doing it for 10 years. So it was... uh, Day one was an empty desk, which was a challenge in itself. So obviously, learning about the club and what goes on behind the scenes and everything. And I've, in the 10 years, I've developed that into a, a seven day a week job during uh, the event season. Um, I guess if you had to summarize the, the role, it's, it's being responsible for the day to day running of the club. Um, it's the first point of contact for the club, for everybody. Um, I obviously don't know everything about every car that Alfred may have made over their 110-year history, but it's trying to find the right contacts for people to speak to when they do want to, to speak to someone about it. But, but just about everything that uh, happens in the club crosses my desk in some form or the other, some of it gathering more dust on its way than others. Uh, and one of the things that I certainly wasn't aware of before I took over was the extent of your involvement in, in the magazine, whether it's selling advertising, putting together the diary dates, managing the classified ads, doing a final Q&A check on the, on the whole issue. There's a lot of work involved there. There is, yes. And I um, write the page for the club news for each issue as well, as you know. And there's a lot goes into the magazine, obviously all done by yourself. Um, and it, it's quite time consuming, but um, I think I managed to hit most of your deadlines most of the time. So either that or you don't complain loud enough. I don't know which. But, uh, Probably hit, hit them more often than I do. Okay. <laughs> Well, I know you have others helping out with the magazine, obviously compiling 
proofreading, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's it's just great to be part of a good, a great team it's putting out a good publication. Um, with you at the helm, it's continued to develop, and uh, we continue to receive praise for it. So that's down to you, of course. So. Thank you. And and although you've always been an important point of contact for members on on all sorts of issues. It's about a year now since you formally took over the membership side of things. That's right. We club decided uh, last year to take the membership administration back in-house from August um, for cost and functionality reasons. We sourced a new database off the shelf for the membership, uh, which obviously totally GDPR compliant. It took a little bit of setting up. But it's all up and running now and everything. So one of the things we're always trying to do in, not just for the membership, but everything is to keep costs under control so we don't have to increase the membership fees. And one of the ways we're trying to do this in the membership is reduce the postage costs. There's obviously 4,000 stamps at 61p each is quite a lot. So we're trying to become more and more reliant on email. And we're putting a plea out at the moment to everyone to double check that we've got the up-to-date email addresses for them and uh, all to help keep the costs under control and so keep the membership fees down. So, uh, but yeah, it's all working well in the new system. You're, you're a well-known face at, at club events. I suspect most of the people who've met you over the years have met you at an event. How early do you get involved with something like National Alpha Day? Um, National Alpha Day, I'm obviously involved from the start for the club. That's our big flagship event for the year, and that can start probably up to a year in advance at any one time. We obviously try to get booked early, A, for the venues, the type of venues we need size-wise and for that event get booked up very quickly so we do that and also people like members like to know when the when it's all going to be so they can plan their holidays and, and travel and things um but the event itself will grow and develop as as the, as the year goes on and it's uh, it involves a lot of people outside the club as well there's um obviously we need to do site visits we have to book trade stands catering toilets first aid health and safety the list goes on really volunteers for the day as you'll know from your help to the national health day last year we also need that need that and i I work very closely with John Griffiths, our events director on on the big events and everything. He's got a lot of knowledge on it as well. So, uh, but events and venues are all different. There's no one size fits all approach to it, but it's uh, yeah, it all comes together. So. so, a year of preparation, and then we come to the weekend of the event. What does that look like for you? Um, in between the sleepless nights, it's <laughs> we I'll leave home on the Friday night or crack of dawn on Saturday, so we can set up on the Saturday at the event. Then on the Sunday, we'll obviously be first in. The event grows and people, thousands of people come and every, all these cars arrive and then they all leave again and you're left there standing in an empty field again, which, which is always quite a strange, a strange feeling. But uh, it's all, I say, it's such a community thing, really, because there's so many volunteers come and help and people come and help me do things and uh, it's really good. And then to get all packed up and then I've got a three or four hour drive home, norm typically. Um, Scotland's a little bit more depressing when I jump in the van and the sat nav says I've got eight hours to drive back or uh, Ireland obviously with the ferry overnight ferry that's uh, that's Monday morning by the time I'm going to bed and everyone else is getting up but uh, so it's got quite long weekends but uh, it's all good all good stuff that already sounds like a, a full-time job but I think there's a, there's a lot more to it than that isn't there what, what else does the job entail in in normal times um, yeah, what doesn't it entail? As I said, just about everything that happens in the club cross at my desk at some stage. As far as full-time roles, if you like, there's, the treasurer also falls under this this uh, mantle. So all the income expenditure of the club comes through myself. 
I compile all the monthly reports and bank reconciliations for John Timms, the finance director, so he can report to the board. Obviously, the annual budgets, things like that as well. All being members' money, it's important it's visible and fully accounted for. Selling of advertising has been obviously a little bit harder recently with people moving to uh, the internet, but it seems print advertising seems to be coming back with some people now. So whether they've fallen out of love with the internet, I don't know, but it seems to be coming back, which is quite good for us because obviously it pays us better. General liaising with the club inquiries, I, I can get quite easily over 100 emails in a day with busy times. So that's, that's obviously quite a few hours in the day as well. Otherwise, I, I work so with John Timms on the finances regularly. Most weeks, there's something going on. Peter Farquhar, who's our company secretary, I do all the uh, company's house records, make sure all the filing's up to date with them. John Griffiths, our chairman, on the events, as I mentioned already, but um, just the general status and things going on with the club with him, so he's up to date with everything. But apart from the board, generally, all do a lot of hard work behind the scenes, which is unseen by most of the members. There are a lot of other people, as I always mention in the magazine, who uh, do a lot of work behind the scenes, like the um, section secretaries, the registrars, uh, Stuart does our valuations, Ken does the DVLA work for us, the magazine contributors, people who've helped your team with that, Danielle with the shop. I see myself as a sort of the manager roles on the glue that bonds it all together. So, but it, but it all does come together. So, yeah, that's that's most of what I get up to. So, in a, I know this isn't a, a typical year, um, but in a typical <laughs> year, how how many club events would you would you do? In fact, it's not just club events, is it? How many events would you do in the course mm. of a year? I think the most weekends I was away a few years ago was twenty seven weekends. So, which given that doesn't span the whole year it probably runs from april to um october september october it's quite a lot um that entails seven eight thousand miles in the van i typically do mostly at weekends of course but i'd also do a similar sort of mileage in my car doing site meetings for events organizing those visiting dealers potential advertisers etc etc but yeah you say we also do third party events auto italia and get to as many as we can really get the name out there and over those 10 years are there any particular events or venues that stand out or, or stories from any particular venues um yeah the spring and national alpha days are so i find very intense and you don't really get much time to relax into them because there's always something happening which is, which is good because of the numbers but so generally i tend to enjoy a smaller a-rock event or a third party one where i get more time to stand and socialize with members and things but i'll you mentioned stories. I remember Nebworth House when we were there for National Alpha Day a few years ago. I'd agreed with the lady organising it there that on the Sunday morning I'd meet her at 7.30 at the gate so we could get in early and get set up. And she she said just in case she was late, she'd give me the uh, pin access for the, the main gate there. So I got there a little bit early, I must admit that she wasn't there. But there was a police car parked about 50 metres away from the gate, obviously just having a, a break. I got out of the van, put the pin into the, this big gate and nothing happened. So I tried again and nothing happened and looked up and the policeman's coming, wandering over to me and asks what I'm doing. And I said, well, I was trying to get in. He says, oh, we've, we've got a pin. He says, for emergencies in case there's a fire or something. I'll... So he gets the phone out of his pocket, looks up this pin, uh, gives it to me, doesn't even put it in. He just reads it out to me and 
and uh, off, off we go. <laughs> but, although I was in a the l- large uh, A-Rock van, of course, so I suppose it's fairly obvious what I was doing. It did make me laugh. So that's a, a normal year. How have things been for the last couple of months? Day-to-day in terms of the job, hours and location, lots of great deals changed for me, to be honest. I'm still busy running the club day-to-day, of course. If anything, I could be a little bit busier than normal as directors and members are all sitting at home thinking up extra things for me to do. Uh, even yourself with this podcast, dare I say, has <laughs> been born out of it all, but it's, uh, it's, it's a great enterprise and it's going down very well. The big difference, of course, is having weekends at home, which is quite a novel experience after 10 years. Um, I did, when I started in the role, as we were meant talking about before, but I, I was, rather than events, I concentrated on going around to the different sections, trying to meet all of those, as many as I could in the year. But in terms of time and uh, and result, it was uh, probably not as efficient as obviously some of the section meetings not very well attended, so I was travelling long hours, not seeing many people. So the, so the events, although it is weekends, giving those up, it, um, it's very worthwhile. And what kind of impact has the lockdown had on income and expenditure? Yeah, the finances of the club are pretty much on hold at the moment with the, the lockdown and everything. But um, obviously, if, if, any, if there's any decrease in income, we can also offset that by not spending money. Um, the shop is an example. If it's not, we're not selling anything, we, we don't have to restock it. So it's, uh, the finances is nothing to worry about. With The club's got um, enough reserves to see us through to the, the end of the year and see us enter next year in the same good health we started this one. So The last couple of months, so unorganising events is not very interesting, certainly disheartening, knowing that you're not going to see everyone and so many people are disappointed they can't get out at the moment that, uh, I say, the events become a, a way of life for me almost. It's uh, it's very strange. One thing I don't miss is sitting out in a hotel on a Saturday night having a meal by myself. That's not, not something you miss particularly, is it? So. No, I can sympathise with that. <laughs> On the subject of unorganising events, uh, the club recently took the decision to postpone National Alpha Day, uh, which obviously looks like the right thing to do. Why was the decision taken not to try and reorganise it for later this year? Um, well, National Alpha Day is obviously a big event of the year. and It's important that it's organised, financed and supported correctly. There are a lot of people involved in an, in an event like that, not just the club, but there's out from Mayo UK, sponsors, volunteers, marshals, members, trade, catering, etc., etc., etc. And obviously, it wasn't possible to get commitment from them for the fifth of July, which is when it was booked for. Um, and it's we've attached it to an adjacent weekend for the Festival of Speed at Goodwood. Last year is what we want to do this year, because Alpha from Mayo kindly. Um, bring along the cars and equipment that they have over from Italy for that event. So it's quite important that we we decided we wanted to do that. They also have something else planned, quite special for us, um, which depended on that. So all in all, we decided we didn't know what's going to happen, obviously, with the COVID situation this year. Um, we had to make a decision a few weeks ago with the venue, otherwise we'd have incurred penalties, financial penalties, cancellation or postponement so we've made the decision and we made the decision to put it back to next year so for the the organizational reasons as it turns out it, it looks like we've made the right decision We're talking about maybe the 4th of july lifting some things for the, a little bit too soon i think so i'm sure you could have done something on 24 hours notice <laughs> yes 
Okay, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Are, are there any plans for any events this year if the lockdown does start to ease off in July or August? Um, yes, what we've, we're looking to do is something more along the lines of some pop-up events rather than a, a formal big day with lots of sponsorship and stuff organised, more of a pop-up event, which we can run at short notice. We could maybe do one in the north, one in the south, depending on availability of venues and things. But, but no doubt there'll be a lot going be a lot going on then but um yeah i'm sure we'll be able to do something as and when those become available um also we'll be attending third party events as auto like i know i've got several booked already who knows what's going to turn up but yes we'll we'll be there and i think everyone is itching to get out and drive their cars and get to an event now so absolutely talking of cars um we featured your 159 in in afro mayo driver uh, about a year ago now i think um but i think you've recently bought a new car can you tell us a bit about that I have, yes, a newly acquired car. Um, I first, uh, look, so 916 Spider Phase 3. I had the thought a few years ago, looking at them turn up at events and things, and I, I sort of wanted one, and, and I put it off. I thought, well, I'd never have time to drive it because I'm always away at weekends and blah, blah, blah. So, um, so I didn't. And then something happened last December, and I thought, just go and get one, make the time. You'll you'll agree it. So I had a will on the club manager i of course have my own manager and she she agreed to buy it as well um so we we started looking earlier in the year and spotted one early march yeah it's it what i wanted slow mileage only a couple of owners so it's a 2005 model it had been on sawn for best part of a year so had it collected rather than drive it back from uh, surrey back to mine so um that came in on a sunday it arrived back here i taxed it Drove it to the um, Mario, who looks after my 159 on the Wednesday. He checked it all over. It's all fine. We went out for a little drive at the weekend, and then the lockdown came, and it was back on sword again for a month, month and a bit. So, so, yeah, that was it, really. I spent all that time cleaning it, and I even re- resorted to emailing John Griffiths for some detailing tips on it, which is when I realised it was time to stop. Have you had a chance to drive it since the, the lockdown started to ease off a little bit? Yes, we have. Uh, so obviously, it's been nice weather since then as well. So we went out last weekend and uh, a couple of evenings during the week we've been out as well. So all, the, all we can do is go for a walk when we get there. Obviously, there's nowhere to go for a drink or anything. So <laughs> so that's that's quite a desirable car collection between the, the 159 Q4 and the, uh, and the Spider. But the vehicle you're probably most associated with is the big white van. What's happened to that over the last couple of months? Yeah, it's just been gathering dust on the drive, unfortunately. I haven't cleaned it, and it's quite a, quite a big beast. To, I clean it by hand for, before all the events, so it's quite a big beast to clean, so I haven't missed that. But it's, uh, uh, yeah, so it's still sitting there. I, there's going to be a little uh, problem to solve when, when we do need to use it again because it's full of all the events equipment. And I, don't, I don't take all the events equipment to all the events because obviously it won't all fit in the, in the van with the shop stuff and everything, so uh, I'm going to have to put that in the garage, and that's where the spider is now residing, so uh, something's going to have to give there. <laughs> we'll find out but, uh, but, um, yeah that's, uh, it's quite more apart from the events the, the van's quite iconic so that's either house actually all the trade people seem to mention it when they come around here and I had a guy come around fix something and he's he was stood in my kitchen and he said he said I had a um, spider he said I absolutely loved it my favourite car and he, he stood in my kitchen and so they looked at the floor shook his head he said it was a it was the saddest day of my life, he said, when my, my son came along. I had to drive the spider to the garage and I drove home in a Vauxhall Severa. 
doesn't get much worse than that, does it? It, it doesn't, no. But so there we are. That's uh, so it's all ready, ready to go once the lockdown's gone. We'll, we'll be off again. So thank you to Nick for that fascinating insight into what a club manager does for the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. In next week's episode, we'll be talking to pre-war registrar Carol Corliss. Now, I know we're only four episodes in, but this is definitely my favourite of all the episodes I've recorded so far. Carol's got some fantastic stories to tell about the vintage car scene in the 60s and 70s through to the modern day. As usual, that'll be available from your favourite podcasting source from about 1.30 on Sunday. I hope you'll join us for that, but in the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>